Thank you, Dave. Thank you, Jerry, for leading us in worship. It's going to move right into the scripture we'll consider together this morning. Um, And that scripture is the fourth chapter of the fifth book in the Bible. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter four. Read Deuteronomy lately? A few months ago we were in it. We were looking for counsel in parenting. If you haven't taken time to read and reflect on this book, you may want to give that a second thought. Because did you know that uh, of all the Old Testament books, next to Psalms and Isaiah, Deuteronomy is the third most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. New Testament authors cite Deuteronomy almost 100 times. So perhaps this book is worth, as all of the scriptures are, as you discover when you dive into them, uh, very careful, reflective reading. Not only that, but the composition of Deuteronomy is, is basically this. Deuteronomy is composed of the three farewell addresses of the greatest leader of the Old Testament era, and that's the prophet Moses. The people of God are gathered at a strategic moment in their history. And they stand before the man who led them to this point of promise and they listen to him. And as Moses delivers his farewell addresses, he is about to die. You go to the last chapter of Deuteronomy and you will find a very moving scene where God and Moses meet on the mountain. And the Lord rehearses some things to Moses and allows him to peer into the future consequences of his life of leadership to see some of the fruits of his labor. And then Moses dies virtually in the arms of the Almighty. You know, the farewell address of any great leader is worth reading. And so we're going to take some time this morning to look at the end of the first of those three addresses that Moses gives And let's see what this great man would give as his intentional final counsel to the people who would be the people of God. Verses 1 through 10, and then we'll pick up for time's sake with verse 32. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I'm about to teach. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land That the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes in the past what the Lord did at Baal Peor. Uh, That's a sorry saga in the life of these people in which they veered tragically off from uh, the worship of the one true God. And they immediately remember when Moses says these words. The Lord, your God, destroyed from among you everyone who followed that false God. But all of you who held fast to the Lord, your God, are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord, my God, commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom 
and your understanding to all the nations who will hear about these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord your God is near us whenever we pray to him? What other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen. Or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. When he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. Verse 32. Ask now about the former days. Long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth, as from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Beside him there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear the voice to discipline you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard his words from out of the fire because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them. He brought you out of Egypt by his presence and by his great strength to drive out before you nations that were greater and stronger than you. And to bring you into their land to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge. Take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you. And that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gave you for all time. Now, the people of God are gathered at the threshold of Canaan. This bountiful land which God has promised to give to them. They are poised to forge forward into their future in God. And so they gather and Moses delivers his addresses. And what is he saying here? He's saying. Before you forge your future, pause to ponder your past. Remember your past so that the future you forge will be your best future. That your next days will be your best days. Moses says to us this morning, remember your past. And we all have one, you know. Do you have a past? Can you remember it? Moses had a past. And it was a mixed bag. Here was the greatest man, according to Hebrew history, 
in all of the Old Testament. And yet when you read his life story, fully one third of his life was lived as a fugitive, tending sheep on the backside of the wilderness, dependent upon his father-in-law for his protection and provision. Now, all of us who have fathers-in-law, that isn't our, our best thought about our best part of our lives, is that we have been relegated to the point that we are absolutely dependent on our father-in-law for provision and for protection. But that's exactly where Moses was well into the later middle years of his life. He had been reared in a palace. But things had gone rapidly downhill from there. And fully into the... Latter years of his, what should have been the most dynamic years of his lives. If someone had written a biography of Moses, the title would have had to have been something like this. From the penthouse to the outhouse. (laughs) Or how to ruin your life in one unguarded moment. That moment for Moses was when he had killed an Egyptian who was abusing a Hebrew. And Moses had probably raised up in righteous indignation, but he is a living lesson of something that I have confronted in my own life. And that is when you try to help God out by doing God's work in your own human ways, with your own human wisdom, disaster will inevitably occur. In my own life, I think about me. The end does not justify the means. And sometimes when I wanted to help God out a little bit and I followed my own wisdom was when I made my greatest messes. And so for all these years, fully one third of his life, Moses dwells in the wilderness off the beaten track, dependent on his father-in-law. I'm sure with many opportunities to harbor regrets over that unfortunate past. Moses had a past and it's a mixed bag, but we can learn from Moses that God is in the business of redeeming our past. And so as we read the rest of the story, we find a life of 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 immense impact and faithfulness and fruitfulness. The last days of your life can be your most fruitful days. And that's good news to me. I like to hear that the last third of your life can be the greatest years of your life. And that's what we learn from a failure named Moses. Moses had a past. The people who were standing before him that that day also had a past. And it, too, was a mixed bag. The children of Israel, the people of God, selected by him from among many nations to be a blessing and to be blessed. And they had been at this roughly this very point, 38 years before they had arrived at this land. And they were there because God had had been their provider, their protector. He had been present and powerful among them and with them. And now they're where God would said they would be about to go into a land that is exactly like he said it would be. And then they saw the giants. And at that moment, they forgot the protection and the provision and the presence of their great and glorious God. And they all they could see were the crises and the challenges. And they turned tail and ran, complaining bitterly every step of the way. And consequently, over the next four decades, most of them die in the wilderness. And it takes 40 years to get for their forebears, plus a few faithful ones, to get back to this place. The people of Israel had a past, and it was a mixed bag. Moses had a past, and it was a mixed bag. And you and I have a past, and most likely it also is a mixed bag. So what do we do? With our checkered pass, 
When Moses says, under the inspiration of Scripture, remember. Remember your past, even the regrets. You know, those times in our lives when things were done to us or we did things to others or or did things to ourselves. Why in the world would we want to remember our painful past? Well, fundamentally, bottom line, we remember our past so that ultimately we can learn from it and move beyond it. A great Swiss Christian named Paul Tournier once wisely wrote that our past unresolved regrets are like ticking time bombs. If left undiffused, they will go off at the most inopportune moments and do considerable damage. And we will be left wondering why in the world did that happen? They're like the 90% of the, the iceberg that is submerged beneath the surface of the ocean. Lying in wait to sink unsuspecting ships. So our unresolved memories and regrets lie there in the darkness. Never brought out into the glorious sunshine of the healing grace of Jesus. So Moses calls us to remember. So how? How do we redemptively remember our past so that we will learn from it, move beyond it in the healing grace of Jesus? Well, the scripture speaks to this frequently, and it always lists a fundamental first step. If I want to remember my past, the first thing I do is to look up and seek the face of God. As Moses begins to give counsel to the nation of Israel, poised to forge their future in God, he says, remember. And God gets in the middle of that. I need to remember. Has there ever been a God so great as our God? Moses says our God is holy. That is, he is holy other. He is separate. He is unique. He is distinct. He is transcendent. He is absolutely in a class by himself. There is no one like our God. He is holy. Moses says, our God is sovereign. He has all power. He sets all boundaries. He created and he sustains the cosmos. He rules not only over the universe, but over the territory of our lives. Our God, who is holy, is sovereign. And Moses then says a surprising thing. He says this holy God who is sovereign, who has all power, who is who is transcendent. This holy God is loving. The scripture tells us that in all the ways that God acts in our lives, it is always for our benefit, 
not to harm us and to give us a future and a hope. Our God is holy and because he is holy, he is sovereign and he is also loving. And because he is sovereign and loving, our God is faithful. We sang that this morning. I hope you captured that theme that one of the great affirmations of Scripture, which is reinforced in the histories of the lives of people who follow God, is that God is faithful. Here's a favorite passage of mine. As you go through the process of redemptively remembering, it is from Lamentations chapter 3. Wouldn't hurt for you to even look that up in your Bible and mark it. I've gone back to this scripture many, many times. A servant of God goes through the process of remembering at a painful time in his life. And he says, I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them. And my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, God. What does it mean to say God is faithful? It means that God is consistent and dependable. He is trustworthy. You can always count on God to act like God as he has made himself known in Jesus Christ. Here is one of the issues as we confront our past and as we try to live out our lives. We know that people are not always consistent, dependable and trustworthy. In fact, when we really get honest with ourselves, we know that we aren't either. But can you trust in the trustworthiness of God? He is faithful. So how do I begin to deal redemptively with my past, including even the painful past? I look up and I seek the face of God. Now, the second thing I do is closely connected to that. I seek the counsel of Scripture. We know that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, that it is God breathed, God is its source, and He gives it to us because it is profitable for life. The psalmist says that, that the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So, how do I? Remember redemptively my past. I turn the light of Scripture upon the dark recesses of my life. And from the wise counsel and the authoritative direction of Scripture, I remember. And it is Scripture that helps me seek the face of God and get to know Him. This weekend is the ninth anniversary of 9-11. And for a moment, I want us to remember by seeking the face of God through the counsel of Scripture by turning to the 46th Psalm. So would you join me in turning to Psalm 46? It was following 9-11-2001 that this Psalm was read all over America. And it will serve well at this moment as we pause to reflect on our past. So you follow along as I read the scripture. 
God is our refuge and our strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. This is where the sovereignty of God and the love of God meet at the intersection of the faithfulness of God. Our God is trustworthy. I can, as I seek his face and the counsel of his word, remember I can pause to ponder the past, to learn from it, to turn from it, to place it in the healing hands of Jesus, that I may forge forward a fruitful future in God. Seek the face of God. Seek the counsel of Scripture. And listen to this, because it's repeated in Scripture continuously. Seek the support of of faithful friends. There's some neglected and overlooked verses in the New Testament that perhaps we need to uh, revisit. Just like we need to revisit Deuteronomy. James 5.16 is one of them. James 5.16 says, Pray for one another that you might be healed. Well, part of James 5.16 says that. Actually, if you read the entire verse, here's what it says. It says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Galatians 6, 4 says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, it's the royal law, as James calls it. It is to love one another. Which Jesus says is the ultimate testimony to the power of the gospel in the lives of people. It is the ultimate apologetic for authentic Christianity that we, because of the presence of God in our lives and how he helps us process our lives and empowers us, we can love one another. Now, if you are like me and you're taking seriously uh, the counsel of, of the message, the scriptures this morning, um, you will be asking, wait a minute. I can think of all those times that I I put my faith in people and they failed me. They may have even turned on me and they may have done damage to me. And I said at that moment, I'll never do that again. Do I have a testimony here? Anybody had that experience? I have. And unfortunately, I, I have been that for others, I'm sure, where I failed them. But we cannot live fruitfully with the alternative, which is to isolate ourselves and to insulate ourselves and live life at a very superficial relational level. That's part of what Jeff was saying a moment ago. 
We seek the counsel of faithful friends. Now, we can load the deck a little bit if we are in fellowship with God and in fellowship with the body of Christ, people who have similarly been graced by Jesus. And that's one of the wonderful things about share groups. You get with a group of imperfect people like you and me. And with Jesus in the midst, you seek to do life together, supporting one another to the glory of God. And that one another principle must be important because it's there are over 50 one another's in the New Testament. So apparently with all the risk, it is God's desire and his gift to us to place us in a Christian caring community as we seek to live out our lives as disciples of Jesus. So give serious thought to being part of a share group, will you? And seek the opportunity to have one or two faithful friends with whom you become extremely close as you support one another and become priests to one another. In being faithful to James 5.16 to confess your thoughts to one another and pray for one another and to bear one another's burdens. Pause to ponder your past. There is there are great gifts when you do that. There is forgiveness and healing to be experienced. There is power to be appropriated. There may be even a life mission to be embraced. Have you known anyone? Are you one who out of the most painful moments in your life found your life's greatest mission? It is amazing how that so often happens. A few years ago in a church that I served, there were two fellows in that church, both of whom had very responsible jobs. And they had climbed the ladder to the point you would have thought they were absolutely invaluable to their companies. But both at roughly the same time suddenly got downsized right out of their jobs. And because of their particular career station, uh, the search for the job was going to be exceedingly difficult. And these were in a little bit better economic times. Both of those guys, through the journey of dealing with those painful moments in their lives, found a mission. They began to get together, first of all, the two of them, but then they sought out others to get together and share with one another and pray for one another and work through the feelings and the struggles of, of, a, of a male human being. And now it's females and males both who, whose self-image is wrapped up in their job and now they have been dismissed. And in the process, as they supported, prayed, searched scripture, shared, cried, networked a little bit, they found a calling that has through the years helped many, many people. My own wife, Marilyn, one of the most painful moments in both our lives was when she was diagnosed with a serious form of cancer that had progressed to the point that was in in her lymph nodes and many lymph nodes. And and uh, I hate computers now when you can go to the computer and find out sometimes the statistical odds of healings for particular kinds of illnesses. Um, but as we began that very difficult journey over 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago. Marilyn made a choice to run toward that experience rather than away from it and embrace the activity of God in the midst of a bout with cancer. So she dragged me along the way with her. We found anew the faithfulness of God. We embrace the hope that is in the future in the gospel, whatever the present may be. In her case, God was extremely gracious 
and gave her physical healing and and more years, not only more years to her life, but more life to her years. And Marilyn found a calling. When we moved to Wisconsin to accept uh, for me to accept a church pastor at there, that necessitated her looking for a new job. And she intentionally sought out a job with an oncology clinic in an oncology clinic. And she served as a receptionist there with a unique perspective of identifying with the people who walk through those doors, processing them with efficiency and compassion and and being uh, the face of Jesus to many of her peers. When we moved here, Marilyn has continued to serve as a receptionist in the medical marketplace. And her experience at the point of her deep, deep pain has made her a more effective value added employee to that organization. She meets and greets and processes those who enter there with compassion and efficiency, uses her administrative gifts, her considerable work ethic as she works for God to add value to her particular medical marketplace. And she seeks to represent Christ to her peers. She has found a mission out of her greatest pain. What would God be calling you to do for his good and the benefit of others as you redemptively remember and allow God to grow you through your painful past? Now, we all also have a sinful past and God redeems the sinful past, too. First John 1 9 tells us again that God is faithful. This time it says God is faithful to forgive us all our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. Our part in that is that we have to own up to them and confess them and offer them up to him in a true desire to find his forgiveness and to follow him. And he's faithful always to forgive. You see, that word repentance sounds like oughtness and legalism and fear, but it depends upon the character of the God to whom we are repenting. And what we find out is our God is gracious and loving and powerful enough to forgive. And he always will if we will own up to it and confess it. The primer here is John 21. You might go home and reflect on this if you want to uh, be intentional about processing your own past. Do you remember John 21? It begins with the disciples, some of them, following Simon Peter on a fishing expedition. At a particularly turbulent point of their lives, he just says, I'm checking out. I'm going fishing. Anybody going with me? And several of them did. And they fish all night long. They don't catch a thing. And then early in the morning, Jesus is standing at the lake shore. Jesus tends to show up. Those bitter, empty, fruitless moments of our lives. And what's he doing? He's cooking breakfast. For those weary disciples. And the first word out of his mouth, anybody remember? His friends. Pretty interesting because just a couple of weeks before, Jesus is sitting in an upper room with his disciples. And he says, uh, guys, the moment is, is here. I am going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. It is the Father's plan. In great love, I will go to a cross to die for the sins of, of many And the disciples will will have no part of that. They don't understand that. He says, well, that's God's plan. And hey, incidentally, all of you are going to forsake me. And some of them say, is it I? 
Simon Peter says, oh, wait, these others may forsake you, but I never will. Uh, Now, I'm sure that went down well with his fellow disciples, don't you think? But, of course, they were accustomed to open mouth and insert foot. Think later, Simon Peter. And so just a short while later, Jesus is betrayed. He is unjustly tried in the middle of the next day. He is crucified. And all the disciples forsake him and flee. A couple of them make it back to the edges of the crowd. But in that moment, they're out of there. Simon Peter, who boldly said that he would never, never, ever, ever deny his Lord. Remember what happened? He's warming his hands over a charcoal fire. And a little pre-adolescent girl says, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he curses and denies three times that he ever knew him. And the rooster crowed. And he went out and wept. On the third day, Jesus rises from the grave. And now, a couple of weeks later, he meets the disciples on the lake shore and cooks breakfast for them. And then as the scene unfolds, he singles out Simon Peter. And he says, Simon... Now, that hurt a little bit, I'm sure, for Simon, because Jesus had had a habit of calling him Peter, the rock. But no Peter right now, no Rocky. He says, Simon, Simon, do you really love me more than these? And with the aroma of a charcoal fire filling his senses, the same aroma of the same kind of fire where he denied Christ, Jesus asked him that question three times. And I am sure that was not one of Simon Peter's favorite moments. It was a painful moment. But oh, what a powerful, redemptive moment. Jesus shows us how to encounter the past. He he forces Simon to deal with his failures and gives him the opportunity to get it right this time. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And he cancels out. The failures. Even at the level of a kind of love that was just a little bit below the ideal kind of love. And Jesus meets him there. And then he says, feed my sheep. Three types. Now, what's that all about? That's a gift, too. He's saying, Simon, now that you have confronted your painful past, your sinful past, and now that you've owned up to it, you have named it. You have learned from it. You've turned from it. You've put it in my hands. I can fully take it away and I can restore the vibrancy of our relationship to one another and give you back your mission in the world. Feed my sheep. I'm not done with you. There is much more fruitfulness and fulfillment to be done in your life. Restoration. What a wonderful gift. And it is God's dealing with us as we deal with the most painful, sinful moments of our life. So will you remember this morning? That's a project. It's not something that you will get done as a result of a message this morning and an affirming response to it. But every journey begins with a step. And there come times in my life and yours when we have to make conscious commitments. We drive a stake in the moment. And it begins us on a journey 
that transforms our lives. And God is never, never done with transforming our lives if we will but allow him. So this morning, seek the face of God. Seek the counsel of Scripture. Seek the support of faithful friends. What do you need to remember? Do you need to trace the fingerprints of God all over your life? And ask this morning the question, what what is God weaving into the tapestry of my life? What part of my past needs to be redeemed? What do I need to confess? Where do I need healing? And will, will I trust God this morning and commit to let him do his work? Now, for some of you, that's going to be a process. And I would just invite you to consider launching that journey. I asked a, f- a friend whom I respect and trust a lot. If he had one book to set by the scriptures to help someone who wanted to be intentional about processing their past to redeem, let God redeem it, what would it be? He says, well, a good one that's current is to be told by Dan Allender to be told. So if if God is prompting you to be intentional and serious about the process of letting him redeem your past, you might might consider that. Could you join with me this morning now as we reflect on what God is asking us to do? And we're imagining Scott's visual up there. Will you? Okay. And would you maybe this will help you focus if you close your eyes for a moment to get rid of distractions. If there's another way that you better do that, great. But we want to tune into the frequency of the voice of God this morning. First of all, would you look up, not physically up, but you will, would you look Godward, seek his face? Will you gaze into the glory and meditate upon the majesty of our great and awesome God? No life change happens until we are mesmerized by the mercy of God, until we are in awe of the wonder of his majesty. So for a moment, will you gaze into his glory and meditate upon his majesty? Are you regularly in in the Bible, in the pages of scripture? Find a way to be consistent about meeting God in the fellowship of his word. Do you have a small group or do you have a group, a face to face group of faithful friends? Would you ask God to help you find them this morning? If not, don't live your life in isolation and superficiality of relationships. Okay, what what next step do you need to take? Do you know the God of the Bible? Have you personally admitted your need for Christ and invited Jesus into your life to be the leader and savior of your life? Do you need to cross the line of faith this morning? This moment is an opportunity, a gift from God. Don't miss it.
There are those of us who be glad to spend time with you about that. You can use the tear off, ask for counsel, appointment or prayer. Are you committed to a local body of believers? Church membership is very important because that's where we commit to one another in unlimited liability. God led us together and we will not leave our relationship unless God leads us away. Well, have you made that commitment? Committed relationships are where God does his greatest work. And perhaps you would check that you would like to attend a Meadowbrook story or discuss membership with us. There may be some other specific ways God is leading. This is your moment to say yes, to cross the line of commitment. And that little connection card is a little tool, a tangible tool you can use. And Father, we cannot begin to understand your majesty. We just know that there is none like you. You are a great and awesome God. And we are so grateful for that. And we are in awe of you. And we are completely blindsided and amazed that in your perfection and your holiness and your your grandeur, that you love us, the likes of us. And you move graciously in our direction. And we just want to give you thanks and and embrace the reality that that all your plans for us are for our benefit, not to harm us, to give us a future and our hope. So, Lord, help us to trust in your trustworthiness in taking this step of transformation completely at rest in you. Have your own way. Reflect your own glory in how we respond to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.